Hey everyone, this episode is with Spencer Giles and Ashley Antidormi, who are short-term rental specialists and the founders of Travel Lux Property Management, a company that manages Airbnbs and short-term rentals for investors. They're also avid travelers and travel points enthusiasts, aka they utilize credit card points and loyalty airline programs to travel the world inexpensively and luxuriously. They're an awesome couple who seem to epitomize living life on their own terms by maximizing their time and location freedom. These two basically took all the lessons from the four-hour work week and Rich Dad Poor Dad and ran with them. They tell their full story in this episode, exactly how they designed this awesome digital nomad lifestyle and give plenty of inspiration on how others can follow suit. The digital nomad entrepreneur lifestyle has always appealed to me. And so this was a very inspiring podcast for me. They've taken what appears to look like a boots on the ground business of managing short-term rentals in Canada, but put the right systems in place in order to manage it all remotely. Although they have this awesome lifestyle now, I know how much work and crap they must have had to deal with along the way to achieve it. So it's very inspirational to hear the full story. And it's obvious to me now that the only people I've ever met in my life that have achieved any amount of freedom in their lives financially, time-wise, or location-wise are real estate investors or business owners, or usually a combination of both. I really do see not owning direct assets, whether it's a business or even easier, rental properties, as so much of a bigger risk than owning these assets and the risk that might come from owning them. I think sometimes in life, the biggest risk is not doing anything at all. If you believe the same thing and that real estate can provide you with more freedom in your own life, then you may want to consider signing up for our next free real estate investing training class. This is a free 60-minute class taught by Tom and Nick Radza, where they teach several strategies that thousands of investors that we've worked with now have used to make money in real estate in the GTA and Golden Horseshoe area in Southern Ontario. Whether you're an experienced investor with three, four, or 10 properties, or a new investor looking to buy your first rental, this class will show you insight into the factors driving the Southern Ontario housing market and give you an information advantage to invest with. Tom and Nick open up the class at the very end for open Q&A to answer any question you might have for them. It's awesome. And we hold this class about on a monthly basis. To sign up for the next upcoming class, go to rockstarinnercircle.com or type in Rockstar Inner Circle on Google. Then click the big red button on the Rockstar Inner Circle homepage that says free investor class. That's rockstarinnercircle.com. Then click the big red button on the homepage that says free investor class. If you just search Rockstar Inner Circle on Google, the webpage will come up. Uh, the class, it's great. It's free. It's to the point, educational. And uh, most of all, Tom and Nick make it fun. Their brotherly banter is always great. Hearing them chirp each other. I, I love that. That's my favorite part about it. And uh, so now without further ado, Spencer and Ashley and their amazing story everyone are you ready to live life on your terms is it time to take charge real estate business building the economy health and nutrition and more it's the your life your term show with tom and nick Carazza. are you ready let's go Okay, so I'm live with uh, Spencer Giles. No, sorry, Giles. Got that right? Yeah. Spencer Giles and Ashley Antidormi. And you guys are together, a couple. Are you guys married? No. No, no okay, but being together for a long time. And um, the Prince of Travel, who we had here on the podcast a few episodes ago, Ricky Zhang, uh, recommended that I have you guys on. He's like, you got to talk to these guys. <laughs> They're super into real estate. They're super into the credit card reward points. Uh, you guys have an envious Instagram of you guys traveling the world and living life on your terms. You guys are both young, and uh, it's really cool to see what you guys are doing. So now I'm just trying to figure out what it is that you're doing. I know it's Airbnbs involved. I know credit cards are involved. Could I get the kind of uh, Spencer Giles and Ashley Antidormi story? 
Sure. So we started dating in 2015. Um, back at that time, we both had full-time like corporate jobs, but we both loved to travel. So we kind of got into the credit card points first before the real estate stuff. It was more, I really liked to travel. I made him go to Southeast Asia, to Vietnam and Thailand, and we had to spend 14 hours in economy. And if you've ever done that, it's terrible. Yeah. So you guys were like hardcore traveling, like... At that Going to the corners of the globe? I was. So when we met, he really hadn't been outside North America. And basically, I was like, either you come with me or I go alone. Because I loved to travel. And I had friends I was traveling with. So I'd been to all around Europe, Australia. I'd been to Central America, all that stuff. So we went to Vietnam and Thailand. And that's where Spencer was like, I am never, ever going back here if I have to do it in economy. And then mm. he came back and kind of dove into the credit card stuff. Yeah, like even before I was trying to look at like, how can we get upgraded? Because we always hear about, about these stories and these blogs, people saying, hey, I got upgraded, I use points. I was using like a really crappy RBC card at the time that the points were worth literally nothing. And got to the airport and basically went up and said, look, like, is there any way we can get some sort of upgrade? And she's like, well, actually, um, this, this flight's not really sold out that much. There's a lot of, you can upgrade directly to business class for like 800 bucks, which at the time was a lot of money. I'm like, don't want to do that. It's like, or there's a good chance if you upgrade to emergency exit seating, which is only like $300 for both of us, there's a good chance they'll move you up to the business class cabin. Knowing what we know now, that that's ridiculous. Sense. But this is what she said, and we said, "Yeah, let's upgrade do it. to the emergency exit seating." So yeah, essentially, that just gives you a ton of legroom. It's like the very front of the economy so class. You have to pay for a little bit of the upgrade. Yeah. Well, what what we didn't know is that you know the seats itself were like a straight jacket. They didn't really recline, and the sides, the armrest didn't come up because the TV was connected to that. But anyways. So we're excited thinking like, okay, this is, this is going to work out. We get to the gate and they're calling names, but not ours. And, uh, we basically get up to where we're handing our ticket. We didn't get called up and it was the same person that was checking us in at the counter that was taking the ticket, ripping off like the, the boarding pass. And she looked at us and she's like, oh, you guys didn't get called. And we're like, no, she's like, oh shoot, sorry. And then we literally walked on the plane and the torturing part was they literally made us walk through the business class cabin so as we're walking through we are literally seeing people with their shoes off feet up reclined like getting their sparkling wine and we're literally just staring at them waiting for people to move and then we mm -hmm. get to our, our emergency exit upgraded seats which sucked they literally were a straight jacket like i said the armrest didn't lift up mm -hmm. uh, didn't recline and it was a, a brutal flight so yeah long story <laughs> short I made it a goal to never have to do this again. We found Ricky's blog and, you know, we appreciate that, you know, he's, he recommended us to come on because he, he was a game changer for us. Okay. And, you know, there wasn't really anyone in Canada that had information on this and it was a fairly new blog at the time, but still had some amazing information on how to get started. And that really kickstarted it for us. And then we went down the rabbit hole of other forums and blogs and kind of started from there. Would you say this is the number one form of travel hacking is using credit card reward points and yes, miles? Absolutely. Are there other forms of travel hacking out there that I might not be aware about other than using these kind of programs? I think it kind of depends on on what you want. And so when people come to us and say, how can we do what you do or, or what cards should I get? It's like, what do you want? Do you want 
free flights down to Florida with your family? Or do you want to fly business and first class all around the world? Because it's different for everyone, right? And our response will be different. So I know like cashback cards get a lot of, like they're not really great, but could they be great for someone who literally just wants to fly down into the States a couple times a year? Yes. For us, they're useless because we're trying to get $10,000 business and first class flights for a fraction of the cost. So we're using um, points programs like Aeroplan or Avios or whatever. Is this just how you're choosing to travel is luxury? Uh, but could you use these points to just travel business uh, class or economy? Um, but you're just choosing like the first class? Yeah, I mean, we yeah. still use our points for economy. I mean, some of the redemptions are still really good. It really depends on the flight. Kind of our rule is anything four hours or less, it's open for anything. Anything over four hours, we try to try to sit at the front of the plane. Okay. So where, where did you guys grow up? You're Canadian. We are. Yes. So I grew up in St. Catharines, born and raised, never left. Um, high school, university, always stayed. Traveled quite a bit with family. So we have been to Europe with family. I think that kind of sparked the travel bug. Um, Spencer grew up. I grew up uh, in the Gray Bruce area, a small town called Lion's Head. It's in between Wyarton and Tobamori. Oh, I love Lion's Head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I grew up there, moved to Niagara when I was about 10 years old and grew up in the well in St. Catharines area. Now now I live in St. Catharines as well. <laughs> okay, so you guys are there now, but uh, looks like you're spending a lot of time traveling. Yes. Okay, so kind of living the digital nomad lifestyle now? Yes, yeah, so we don't like winter very much, especially once you've experienced even winter in other countries, we realize winter in Canada is just very dark and gray, and it doesn't need to be like that. So we try to spend the winter months elsewhere. As put like what country specifically are you kind of comparing it to like winter and uh, even winter in Europe is just maybe not as cold, like not into the negatives and just sunny all the time. Like mm. you don't realize how little sun we get here in the winter months until you go somewhere else. Yeah. It's not even the cold or the snow that bothers me. It's the lack of sun. Same. It's yeah. the lack of vitamin D. Like it just, it's just depressing. Yeah. 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 And you hear about all these places, it might still be close to freezing, but they get like 315 days of sunshine or like 330 days of sunshine. It's like here we're maybe what 50 percent i don't know i don't know the math on that but it's it's definitely got it's not a lot yeah i got it okay so you guys are in the corporate world what are you guys both doing this is through your 20s yeah so so there's an age gap between us so we're four years apart and four years older so when we met i was already in my corporate job and i was in hr so i have a human resources background i was like a generalist i guess and i'd been with the same company for like seven years when and I didn't love it. It was kind of like a means to an end. And it was more actually on the same trip that we decided we we're going to use points to go back to, to Asia after this long haul, terrible flight. It was the same point when I looked at him and said, like, I want to do this all the time. Like, I feel the most alive when I'm exploring and just like deciding what I want to do and when I want to do it and where. And Basically, we said, let's figure out something that where we could figure out how to do this kind of lifestyle all the time instead of waiting for like three to four weeks of vacation. Okay, so that's what I wanted to ask. Did you reverse engineer this digital nomad lifestyle? I, like, did you already have it in mind and then build your Airbnb management business and your own Airbnb business? to achieve this digital nomad lifestyle? So I would say Spencer was more of an entrepreneur in general than than I am. I was definitely down the corporate track. I I think that's just what you do. I'm, I'm Italian, both my parents are Italian, and I think you're just kind of like, that's just what happens. Put your head down, you work. Yeah, and you just go, you go to you, know, you go to high school, you don't take time off, you go to, right into university even though you don't know what you're doing, and then you get a job, and every Italian would know that everyone in your family will help you get whatever job 
right? You want yeah. just as long as you're stable. I bought a house and I rented it out. So I was house hacking without realizing I was house hacking. So I would live in the basement and my roommates would basically pay the mortgage. And I, I wasn't happy. I was feeling like there was something missing. Okay. Uh, this was like deep into your twenties. You're kind of still feeling this way and working and mm -hmm. just feeling like missing that adventure of life. Yeah. So I was 27 when Spencer and I met. So probably around there. Okay. And Spencer, you, I, I kind of bounced around all over. When we first met, I had my own like small business out in London and, you know, doing that, like working crazy hours. Um, what were you doing? It was like a water treatment business. We sold like residential water treatment systems, like basically door to door sales. Um, okay. I, I ran an office there, so I wasn't physically the ones going to the doors. I'd be training people, doing the sales training, so on and so forth, which I loved. Um, I loved seeing the results and doing that. Um, but yeah, it just, it became quite a bit to the point where, you know, we were long distance and had a more stable corporate job offer back in, uh, back in our area. That one only lasted for about three or four months. And then I got an offer from like a big fortune 500 company, um, very good job benefits, company car and lots of room to move up. So I was made actually, it. yeah, yeah, you made it exactly. Right. A lot of people, like I said, it was a great job. Um, so yeah, I moved up pretty quickly there and got to a very, very good position. Um, you know, company car, very good salary, very good bonus. Um, tough to leave. But at the same time, I also was negotiating working from home. I read the book Four Hour Work Week and literally used some of the studies in in that book that Tim Ferriss used to literally negotiate my working from home. Yeah, that was part of the book, right? Like, hey, even if you're not going to do this entrepreneur thing and start your own business, you, here's how to negotiate with your employer, right? Exactly. Yeah, because I was driving back and forth because the office was in Don Mills. So I was literally driving back and forth from Niagara. I had some friends that were super nice to let me stay over and crash on their couch so I didn't have to do that two and a half hour drive sitting in traffic every day each way. Um, but yeah, so essentially I slowly started negotiating work from home. The final position I was in, my team was mostly out in Halifax. So I was actually 100% remote and then COVID happened. So while that was kind of going on, we were slowly building our real estate business, acquiring properties, but also starting the management company as well. And was it Airbnb right from the get-go? It was, yeah. I mean, Ashley's was a little bit different, but my first one was, uh, was an Airbnb kind of almost by accident. I knew I wanted to get into real estate. We were looking at a little bit of everything. And then our realtor mentioned, why don't you try putting this as a short-term rental. He had like five or six doing extremely well at the time, um, not just in the area that we were looking, but all over. So I started looking at the data. I started looking at kind of, okay, what, what can this bring in? And then realize, oh, this, this like almost seems too good to be true. And then we took it live and the numbers actualized, which was crazy to see. And it's cool. You did that for your first property because it's a bit of a extra above and beyond investment because yes. now you have to furnish the place and you're spending a good chunk of change furnishing it, not knowing maybe if it's going to pay off if it's your first one, right? Exactly. And, and our, my thing was, I just want to make as much cash flow as possible, ran the numbers on just your regular long-term rent it was decent, but to me it was boring. Then I was doing the numbers on short-term rental and it was like three X, like three times the amount. I'm like, okay, if we spend a little bit more on furniture, we can get our money back a lot faster and we can get out of our jobs a lot faster if we can scale this and grow this. Mm -hmm. So that's so kind you already of, had the goal of quitting in mind. That, yeah. At that point we had made up the, the decision. We had traveled a bit like, look, we want to travel more, you know, three weeks vacation is not enough. And we want to be able to run a business remotely where we don't have to physically be in an office space or physically have to be in a chair. So how did you start growing the real estate portfolio? Were you just refinancing one home to buy another home? 
Yes. So after him and his friend, they did um, a flip and then and burr, was a burr. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a burr into into a short term rental. And I was although it was a lot of time and a lot of money, I saw it be really successful. And I was like, I want in. Right. So we just did the exact same thing, like three doors down. Yeah, same literally street. bought another house in the same street, renovated that same same situation. Mm-hmm. And then, so how does refinancing a property work if it's a short term rental? It's Are, not short term rental until after the refinance. Ah, got it. Yeah, they okay. use like they use a schedule A. I mean, it's not ideal. Like again, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, sustainable for us. Like we got up to three, and then debt to income became a thing because, as you know, if they use a schedule A. It's like half of the monthly average rental income that you would get anyways. But, but if it wasn't an Airbnb until after the refinance, wasn't there technically no income coming in? Correct. Yeah, at, at, at that point. But like our our position was we were going to be renting this out. So that's why they use the schedule A. Okay. So they can still got it. Yeah. Now it's a little bit trickier based on like market rents for long-term rentals. They would calculate half of that as income coming in, which helps you with the refinance. Exactly. Yeah. Now the banks are actually starting to recognize that income if you have like two years history, which helps. Um, But also, you know, with the situation we're in, it's, it's a little bit tighter than it was say five years ago. Uh, what do you mean? Just because you're self-employed? Uh, that and just like the with the way the market's going right now. Oh, yeah, the banks, of course. You know, yeah. Tightening the risk. Right? So the big five banks in Canada are now looking at short-term rental income? No. Do have a history? I don't think all, all the big five banks are. I mean, I still think it's a lot of B lenders. Some, some big five banks will take a look at it. Um, we are told two years history. But again, I don't think it's all of them yet. There's okay. still too much risk for them. So kind of, is it kind of like student rentals where it's this kind of gray zone where you got to like work with what you got and like lenders don't necessarily love it. They see it as higher risk. Yes, absolutely. And you have to find a broker who understands what you're doing and knows how to kind of work with you. Okay. If you have the intentions to do short-term rentals. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you built up this portfolio. When did you guys kind of find it big enough that you could quit your jobs and yeah, so we ended up getting a third one, uh, literally all on the same streets. We had three like in an area. It was across from a beach, did extremely well. And then we said, okay, like we're kind of getting to that point now where... Are these all in Niagara, sorry? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're kind of getting to the point now where, you know, we are, uh, we're at that debt to income ratio. Like we have to get creative with this. And obviously these things take time to renovate and go live. The cash flow on them was fantastic. We're like, okay, if we can get like three or four more of these we can we can probably probably leave you know not have the same income as our jobs but at least get us out so we can focus 100 percent on this can so, i ask roughly how much back then yeah so they're averaging about two thousand to three thousand dollars a month net that's oh, what totally yeah you get a few of those you're golden yeah, yeah yeah exactly so we're like okay how do we get more of these faster so i went down the rabbit hole looking at some blogs found the arbitrage method so i originally was trying to do that method out of toronto i thought like you know the smaller units were more appealing toronto's a big market i was running the numbers on it it, it uh you know it seemed fantastic i literally was in toronto trying to get in front of the you know people that were owning the units, but it was always gatekeep- the gatekeeper of the, the listing agent was like, oh no, they're, they're in China or they're here and they're here and they don't want to do this. They don't like, you know, at the time, this was probably four or five years ago, they never heard about like someone renting out their place to re-rent it on short, like a short-term rental market. Yeah. So tried that for about four or five months. Again, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, then I found the management model and I thought, okay, hey, let's let's try this. This might be a little bit easier for them because you can just pitch them on the income, show them that, hey, you can make a lot of money and we'll run it for you, just like a property management. 
So we did like a really Bush League Kijiji ad and got our first client through there. We couldn't uh, believe someone was going to hire us to yeah, do this. Yeah. I remember after that meeting, I can't believe they're hiring us. Yeah, like this. we had three properties. We had proven results. We're like, you know what? Let's We can do this. We yeah. knew we could. And yeah, we met with our, our first client there and, and got his property. And then, you know, long story short, a couple of friends of mine, they own like a digital marketing company. And we said, look, like, we're not good at this stuff, but we know we have something here. We can blow this up and we think you guys are the right people to do it and ended up partnering with them. And they built the whole lead gen website. They've done all the SEO, you know, and to this day, we've been able to scale that business to over 50 properties, single detached properties um, in a matter of like two years just with that power of marketing. Wow. So can you explain just for the audience who might not know the arbitrage model and the management model? Yeah. So the arbitrage model, essentially what you're doing is you're going to a landlord, someone that owns the property and saying, Hey, I'm going to lease this from you. You negotiate a rate, just like a your standard long-term going to sign a 12, 12, uh, 12 month or two year lease, whatever you negotiate. And then with them agreeing that you're able to re-rent it on platforms such as Airbnb. So, and the benefit to them is that you're going to give a premium. Yeah, benefits. you're going to rent it for a premium more than what they could get for normal market rent for a long term rental. Exactly, or you're just really taking care of their vacancy. Vacancy, right? They don't need to hire property management because essentially you are the property management. You're going to take care of any little maintenance. It's in your best interest to make sure the unit is up to five star standards. So it's being professionally clean multiple times a week sometimes. You know, any damage is taken care of us, the you know tenant. And, uh, you know, for the benefits for us is we get to make the difference on if, you know, for renting it for 2,500 or 3,000 and we bring in five, there's that. So, you know, the only upfront cost would be your first and last month's rent and some furniture. Yeah. yeah it's like getting the cash flow from the real estate without having to own the real estate. Yeah. It, it's a good, it's a good model to scale because it's a lot less income to enter and it's super scalable. You're seeing a lot of people that are having a lot of success with the arbitrage method, getting their... ROI back, like they're 100% of their ROI back in like three to four months. So it's a lot easier to like scale and then you can get creative and negotiate the first two months free and now you're getting your money back even faster. So that's why you're seeing all these people picking up 10, 20, 30 units in, a first, in one quarter. Yeah. Okay. Now the management model, you're approaching landlords who have their uh, units for lease and you're saying, look, I can manage this thing as an Airbnb for you. And uh, how does the income spread work there? Like how much do they get to keep and how much do you keep? Actually, instead of landlords, we're actually approaching owners. So if like you own a home and you don't want to rent it out long term because the laws here aren't very favorable um, and you don't want to rent it on Airbnb yourself because it is a lot of work. It's not passive income. That's where we would come in and you you would hire us for a percentage. So we usually uh, are 20 to 25% gross rents and we take care of everything. So we rent it, we help you get it all set up. Um, we deal with all the guests, we maintain the five-star standards, et cetera, et cetera, but we have no ownership. Okay, and so the benefit to the owner would be they get that higher income and cash flow, so they might actually be earning more than they would, even though they're giving up 25% of the rents. Yeah, Absolutely. It's, it's the similar benefits of the arbitrage method. It's like we sit down with our, our clients, a lot of them are investors, and you know they wanna see the numbers. We say, look, like here are the projections of what it could bring in. Even with our fee, here's what you can make. And a lot of the times it's, you know, much greater than your average market rent. They don't have to deal with, you know, the long-term 
tenant issues that we're seeing around here in the tenant board stuff. And same thing, it's getting professionally clean. It's up to us to make sure that it's maintained. We take care of all of that. You know, we deal with all the guests because, you know, that that is a job in itself and make sure that the cleaners show up and that it's a you know successful business. Yeah. So I'm sure you guys probably started doing all this on your own, just like with your own properties, right? Yes. And then how have you learned to scale this over time so that you're not uh, running into these properties, scrubbing the toilets, cleaning everything? <laughs> Systems for us is really, really big. Um, cleaners are going to be your best friends. Cleaners and maintenance. We always have someone, a few that we have in our arsenal that we can deploy at any time. And then once we got cleaners who we build a relationship with and they say, okay, because they can charge more than just like a normal house cleaning, uh, right? So they charge more for an Airbnb clean. So they're going to make more money. So we partner together and then... Why, why do they charge more? Because they're not just cleaning, they're restaging the home, they're doing all the laundry, they're restocking, right? All of your like coffees, olive oil, like soaps, et cetera. They have to restock it. And then they're telling us when we're low on things and uh, sometimes so it's, even it's like going like a hotel maid or yeah. yeah. Reporting yeah. any damages because that you have to move pretty quickly with, with, um, you know, platforms like Airbnb you need to get that report in pretty quickly. So they're almost like semi-managers of the property. Yes, they have to be very, very invested. And it's great when you can build that relationship. And then on top of that, after we're like, okay, how do we not have to tell them when to go? So then now we've gotten them self-scheduled so that there's a system where they just see every booking that comes in and they manage themselves. So it takes something else. Do these else. expenses come out of your pocket as a manager? Like you're paying th these people, these are your business expenses? No, so we, we pay them up front and then we charge it back to the owners at the end of the month. Okay, got but it. But the systems that we put in place, like all the tech that enables us to make sure the business runs smoothly does not get charged back. That is, that is an expense of the business. Mm -hmm. Okay, and where are you managing these properties for people? So mostly in Niagara, anywhere from Burlington down to Fort Erie. We also have a bunch out in BC and we have a manager who runs them out there. We have a few out in Calgary and that one's growing actually pretty quickly. Well, so how did you branch out into these other markets? So uh, I, had a, I had a friend that worked at the same company. He's a real estate agent. That's kind of how it first started. I said, look, like he already owned two or three short-term rentals out there that were doing really well. And we kind of saw the, the writing well. We, we understood that like we're, we're gonna be capped at so many properties here and we've made a shift to the type of property that we've, we've, we're taking on now. We can talk about that later if you want. Um, but I said, okay, like, look, this model works. The systems we're putting in place, we can actually scale faster um, and take this on without it being hectic. So essentially I sat down with a friend of mine and said, hey, look, you're doing this you're doing this out west, you're a real estate agent, would you consider, you know, growing a division of the business out there? And he's super open to it. Obviously for him, he's getting externalities of the, the business coming in. He's getting a ton of investors that he's now in front of for his real estate business. Um, but also he's getting that, I don't like to use the word passive, but he's getting that extra income from the you know, the management side as well with the systems in place. So, you know, the, our goal with him was the same situation as us. He can be pretty independent, have systems in place. You know, we're going to supply the leads, supply all the systems, be there for support and grow that side of, uh, that side of Canada. And it's, you know, it's, it's blown up pretty quickly out there. So when you take on these, uh, management jobs, like what are all the tasks involved that you're taking care of? Are you guys furnishing these homes or are there these like pre-existing Airbnbs that are coming to you? 
A little bit of both. We don't furnish them, but we help. So we've partnered with a lot of like design companies who will come in and they design specifically short-term rentals. So they know exactly what needs to be done and they work with the owner themselves. We wouldn't put any money into it, but we basically give our recommendations. Okay. It seems like there's this whole economy developing around short-term rentals specifically, like all these specific businesses. Are there cleaners now who are specific short-term rental cleaners? Yes. Yep. The people that we use are only uh, short-term rentals. Okay. And then specific designers and spe- wow. So it's this whole economy that's opened up and all these other businesses are sprouting out. Yeah. Um, okay. So you guys are out in BC, you're all over here. Um, yeah. What's the niche that you guys are in? Like, is there something you specialize in? in within Airbnb in short term? Yeah, I mean, our, our company's called Travel Lux, so we try to be on the luxury higher end side of things. And we, we found, I mean, when we first started, we took on literally anything and everything. And we found that the person that is paying $1,000 a night gives us 90% less headaches than the person that is paying $40 a night. That person, 90% of the time, is the one that is calling with the most minor issues, the, the give us the most headaches and it makes us very little money. So it's often like that in life. Yeah, yeah. We actually had a lot more doors than we do today. We, we did like a whole clean out over the last year of, okay, like we sat down saying, look, not only, not only the property itself, but there are, you know, some, some of the owners that we've dealt with, we we've gone to them saying, look, here's what we need to do to get the property up to these standards, right? It's lacking this. And here's what we can do to actually help you bring in more income. And if they weren't willing to do that, we had to make the tough decision being like, okay, like, this relationship eventually is going to go really sour because we won't be able to provide them the same level of service and the same level of results that we did two or three years ago because of the competitiveness and it's not making us that much money. So like we need to make a change. So we found that the more higher end doesn't even have to be super ultra lux, but people that are willing to put amenities in to create that experience is really what separates the good host, you know, from the, the average. I guess, yeah, a huge part of your job would be working with all these owners and it's how much they want to put into their business is going to help you. Cause if you can't, if they're not putting anything into their homes or making them desirable, like they're making your job a lot harder, right? Absolutely. And then they come to us three months later and they're like, Hey, how come we're not making a ton of money? And it's because their place is a dump. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. But now we won't take those on anymore. Or we kind of get a feel for what they're going to do if we come in we're like hey if you want to get this to this income you have to do x y and z and if they're not willing to do it then we just say i don't think this is the right avenue for you because like you you said like short-term midterm rentals are becoming like the next big thing and everyone's kind of pivoting to it right so you have to be different you have to be desirable you can't just put a bed and a desk down and say okay let's go make 100 grand so how do you separate yourself how do you go from normal airbnb short-term rental to luxury so we find those people who usually investors who are willing to who understand the idea that you have to put in upfront capital in order to make money right and a lot of people don't always understand that because furnishing costs especially if you do it properly can run you up like 50 grand which is a lot and you likely won't make that back until year two but 50 grand for what size home probably like a a three bedroom two bath oh just a regular like starter home yeah 
for furnishing, right? If you want to do the whole, like if you need a hot tub, especially in Niagara, you're to set yourself apart. You need your furnishing to be, it can't just be, oh, I have an extra bed in storage. Like it has to kind of all match. You can't have like an orange room and then a purple room and then a yellow room. Like it should be kind of, you know, like a hospital cot. Yeah, exactly. And it, it has to have like some sort of theme. Like our ones by the beach are very like themed, like they're like white walls, but then like blues and green accent. And it's completely the same throughout the house. All the houses that do the best have some sort of like Instagrammable feature, whether that's like a decorative wall or a mural or, or something or like a swing in the backyard or a sauna or just you have to make it look better than just a nor- normal home. Okay. So who's your like target customer for these homes? So you mentioned Instagram. So is it is it just people who love to travel and then take the Instagram pics and... Usually our avatar for guests that we're attracting are going to be, because most of our homes are in Niagara, so it's going to be families because these homes are larger. It's going to be couples or like friends coming together who will pay a premium for a nicer home. Um, And sometimes, sometimes like bachelorette parties and stuff, not bachelor parties though, because men are- Why, because men get rowdy? Yes. Yes, yes. But bachelor parties are probably pretty good. Those are usually our three main avatars. And like medium to high income. I'm thinking about the keg stands I did <laughs> bachelor party in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that wouldn't fly with us. Yeah. <laughs> and the type of owners that we want are mostly investors because they understand what they're doing. It's where we get the most pushback is when, um, the owners come to us and say, Hey, this is our like second home or our vacation rental home. And then they have, they're a lot more hesitant to put either money in or to change up a few things cause it's their stuff. And they also are very much like in looking over our shoulder all the time. And it's, as you know, it's pretty hard to do your job properly when someone's constantly questioning or looking. Yeah, they're emotionally invested. At that point, it's no longer just an investment, right? That's like their lifestyle investment kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, So a hot tub you mentioned, sauna. So having a theme is a cool idea. Um, We interviewed this guy, um, Mind Pump Media, down in the States, runs this huge fitness podcast, but he's big into real estate and is investing all the business proceeds into that. And he had this awesome idea where he has this massive audience of millions of listeners, and they're all into fitness and health and wellness. And so he's doing these Airbnbs, but it's decked out with like all these health fitness amenities. So like uh, the the weighted blankets with like cooling in them and the saunas and the cold plunges and you know little gyms like and it really appeals to this target because that's your audience so they're they're now marketing their airbnb short-term rentals to their fitness audience it's this really cool thing brilliant i would stay there i would pay a premium to stay there Mm -hmm. totally yeah you guys are into health and fitness and stuff yeah yeah when he told me about that i'm like oh my god you would get to try out all these things that you hear about and want to buy for yourself and just try them out in one weekend Exactly. And and that's a lot of upfront cost. Right. And he's very niche, but he probably kills it because it's different. Right. That's why unique stays, tree houses like glamping tents, which are like barely a structure, do so well because they're different. Yeah. And isn't that how Airbnb started with kind of these more or is that just what they highlighted? Well, it started with like almost really like unique? couch surfing, to yeah. be completely honest. And, oh, then, okay. and then it evolved to that. Yeah. yeah. That was like their marketing in the early years is like staying in a tree house or glamping. Yeah. And uh, yeah. OK. So picking themes. So you're doing luxury. Are you sticking to specific themes or it really depends on the house in what area? Really depends on the house in what area. Like we're pretty bullish in Niagara and the Lake area, the wine, the wine region. So, you know, we like to focus on properties that has some land backs onto vineyards that, you know, you can do the beautiful outdoor setting, string lights, fire tables, ideally a covered outdoor area. So rain or shine, people can sit there. Obviously, we've been throwing in hot tubs and saunas because the ROI on them is like insane. 
And then we look like for, a barrel sauna type. Yeah. Thing? The wood burning one. So it's very low maintenance, right? It's just wood. That's it. There's no electricity. You just got to make sure it's, you know, cleaned and that's it. It's not that expensive either. No, no. For the, the amount of money you get in return, same thing with like hot tubs. They're a lot more of a pain to, to manage, but we have a pretty good system down that, uh, that takes care of that. But in the beginning it was, that was the challenge. Now that we figured it out, we're like, put a hot tub in, even if our owners can't afford, you know, the 15, 20 grand upfront cost to get the electrical set up in the, the area, financing them is even a great option because you can get them for two or 300 bucks a month. You might have to put up a few thousand dollars up to get it set up in the electrical, but that's going to yield over a thousand to $1,500 plus per month on average. So you're getting a huge return by having that hot tub there. So we're, we're really bullish on that in that area. Uh, Are there properties you just won't take on because yeah. they're just, they're not, you're like, look, we're not going to be able to do this. Yes. Yeah. And we don't want to take on anything and promise you something that we can't get you. Right. And there's things that have come up and we've said, look, like, I don't think short term is the way you're going to, is the right thing to do here. You're not in the best area. Lo- location does matter. You can have the most decked out home ever, but it's in the middle of nowhere. Right. So you two have to do marry up. So we have said, Hey, maybe like long term would be better. On average, how much money are people putting in? Depends on the size of the house, but I would say like for a fully detached three to five bedroom, you're looking at like 40 to 60 K plus, depending on how high end they're going with stuff. Right. So then are you doing, so you're doing this market research to, to kind of let them know, like, look, you can pull this off. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when we sit down with the client, we basically show them the data. We have data for all of Canada. So we show them comparable listings in their area, the income that they're doing. We do a deeper dive than you've probably heard of uh, air DNA, for example, Mm -hmm. we do a deeper dive than just air DNA. But we go in, we take a look at like the competitors, you know, what's their pacing? Are they fully booked? Um, are they blocking dates? So when we see that average revenue that it's spitting, we want to make sure that it's fairly accurate. Because obviously if it's pulling properties that have infinity pools and hot tubs and this one doesn't, then obviously the income that AirDNA is going to show isn't going to be the same. So we sit down with our clients and saying, okay, like here's the comparable properties. Here's the listings here's what they did and here's what they have. Do you plan to do the same or more, right? If they're willing to get it up to that level, you know, a lot of clients are like, yeah, let's do more. What, what can we do better? Obviously I want to do better. That's the right answer for us. If they're like, you well, start spending money, you're like, okay, you know, what's another 10 grand here, five grand here. Yeah. Well we do, we, every amenity that they add, like we do it ROI base. We don't just tell them go, go buy a $10,000 dining table. Cause that would be stupid. Don't do that. Right? People don't come to sit at a, $30,000 granite countertop or, you know, marble, this, they, they, they come to, you know, they will use the hot tub. They will use the sauna. They will enjoy a very nice outdoor fire pit. Um, things like that, that will not only help with the marketability, but also that, that conversion of booking. So we keep that in mind. So people don't go crazy. Cause obviously you want to make money in this business. You can, you can go crazy and spend all the money, but if it's not returning, what, what type, like what quality of furniture are you getting? So we look at where they're spending the most time in the home. It's couches, any chairs, like seating and beds. So those ones we say do not cheap out on. Get a really high quality bed frame, mattress, sheets, linens, uh, couch, and so on and so forth. I don't ever like to use the word cheap out, but there are like 
other furniture that you can buy that looks nicer but isn't that expensive i know we've used like wayfair like the wayfair professionals like a really good really good tool ikea yeah even some ikea stuff like again, we've had some decor. stuff from the dollar store too like kitchen stuff like you don't even need to go to walmart and spend like ten dollars on like a pizza cutter just go get it for a dollar yeah and and decor and stuff you can get pretty creative like if you have the time and this is why we work with with uh local designers because they can source stuff on like facebook marketplace that looks fantastic and goes with the theme you just can't have random odds and ends of furniture throughout the house it has to flow it has to tie in design now is more important than it ever was so that's why we recommend unless you have a knack for it yourself hire it out spend the extra whatever they charge five ten grand it will literally be a game changer is design more important now than ever before because it's just getting more competitive there's more and more listings out there Yes. And a lot of people will go in and be like, oh, there's one picture on the wall. There's a bed. Like, what else do I need? And like, it needs to feel like a home. Like people need to walk in and feel like they're walking into your home. So you know how you have like odds and ends and knickknacks and like decorative items and stuff. Like you can get them at like the dollar store, Facebook marketplace. Ikea is great for that stuff. It's not expensive, but it can't look bare. It has to look like someone like lives there. Oh, really? So you can't just have like a minimalist kind of look going on? I mean, if that's what your vibe is, um, and you'd have to make sure that your avatar wants that. So it kind of depends on on where you are. Like, I feel like if you're in the big city and you have like a two bedroom apartment and it's like a minimalist thing, that might work. But we're in Niagara on the Lake and we're trying to appeal to like families and couples and stuff. And I don't think that would work for yeah. us. Like minimalist done right. If it's designed, like you see a lot of those like really nice minimalist high end homes like that, that does really well. But um, not like your grandma furniture and nothing else yeah Yeah, i guess you got to understand the area and then growing up in niagara which you both did it kind of makes sense you got into airbnb because it's such a uh tourist destination right Mm -hmm. exactly exactly so how did you guys make the transition you guys quit your jobs and you're doing this full-time now so congratulations thank you thank you um I feel like how's life this, on the other side oh my god i feel like we get this question a lot like how did you know when to leave how did you just do it i think at some point it just became a breaking point we we're both working full-time jobs and we were managing our own properties we we're still buying real estate personally plus we had our management company that was growing and if you know anything about running a business it's really really hard and you had two people who have never really ran a business before so we're still trying to learn how to do that so putting that all together we're basically working 24 hours a day all the time Mm. and at some point we looked at each other and we're like we can't do this anymore yeah we are breaking we were breaking (laughs) yeah Yeah, i was miserable we were miserable all the time there was no off switch it was terrible and that's a kind of a weird um transition phase uh, because it's like you're kind of you alluded that you were miserable in the corporate world and then it's like we're doing all this stuff to get out of the corporate world but now i'm more miserable than ever (laughs) because i've got taken more on my plate right yeah so it's kind of this transition but was it worth it after all that yes so at some point we just looked at each other and we're like you know i think we just have to make the leap we'll just decide that i'll leave first because his role had better like benefits we had the car um, made more but it was still hard to lose like I wasn't making little money so it was still hard to lose that income because you're you're leaving for like a startup which is not the same as leaving and and recovering your like $85,000 a year job right and then he left probably what seven months later I think yeah seven months after so we were really passionate about the real estate side the you know the the short-term rental side we really passionate about that business our biggest frustration was 
we couldn't start that till like five o'clock, right? So yeah, we, we were really miserable that the fact that like there would be things going on during the day in the business. And I'm like, I can't take this call. I can't talk to this client. I can't go to this amazing property that, you know, they want to meet at three o'clock. I can't go because I, I'm stuck in, I'm stuck in meetings. And then, yeah, from five to 11, 12, one in the morning, we'd be working on the other business and then just repeating. So it was tough. So yeah, she, she went first kind of got an idea of how that went. It was like a game changer. The amount, amount of productivity increased when she, she left was like astonishing. So I said, okay, let's, uh, let's get past the bonus period. So you get bonus an- annually and then that's it. Right. Yeah, it's time so, to go. And like there was, there was no looking back. The nice thing is, you know, you want to stand on the shoulder of giants. We followed that and like surround yourself with people that are doing bigger and better things. We were fortunate enough to have a group of people that have already been there and done that and doing big things. So they made that leap a year or two before us. And, you know, we were kind of constantly picking their brains being like, how is it a year later? What's it like? Is everything yeah. good? Finances are good. And the one thing that we saw constant was they just kept getting better and better and better. And they were doing better. the same thing, Airbnb management? No, just different types of real estate, not, not, not Airbnb management, but just their own thing in real estate. And they saw like an exponential growth from the second they quit to a year later. And, you know, that was really the, you know, that was really the kind of not safety, but it was like the, okay, weight off the shoulder, knowing that, okay, everyone that we followed so far has helped us along our way. And everyone that has made that leap has seen these incredible results. So I'm like, we should we should have the same. And we also both have a really strong focus on our why. And our why has always been time freedom. Like our, our personality, me especially, is I don't like being told what to do. I don't like being told to have to sit in a desk from nine to five because I'm thinking, what if I can get done what I need to get done by 12? Why do I still have to be here? It just never, I never understood that. And I always questioned it. And so I don't think corporate was ever for me. We always wanted time to just do whatever we want, wherever we want, when we want. And that was like our main driver and it still is. Yeah. Still yeah. Is. Uh, have you guys found that time freedom now? We're location independent. We've gotten the business to a point. We've been able to put systems in place where we can step back where we're not out of it. We're definitely still working. It's still a full-time job, but it doesn't matter if we're in Eastern standard time or if we're in Vietnam or if we're in the Philippines or whatever, our work has to get done. It doesn't matter what time zone it is. The time difference isn't like a hiccup or make things difficult at all. It's very rare. Like sometimes we need to do like some meetings with our team that's back here, but you can always find that, that cool overlap in the time zones. It's never been an issue. Have you guys brought on full-time employees now or? We don't have necessarily employees. So there's four of us. Yeah. There's four of us who are founders and we do still quite a bit of work. And then we have basically contractors who work with us and now they run the day to day because anyone who knows like an Airbnb, it's, it's not even real estate anymore. You're in hospitality. Yeah. So, and it's 24 seven, like you can never just be like, I don't feel like doing this today. There is no days off. So we said we can't grow a business and run at that point, I think like 20 ish properties at the same time. So we, at that point, hired it out. So if you're onboarding a new property now, do you have to be there to kind of check out the property, analyze it? No, no, no. I mean, this, this sounds bad, but I've probably only been to about half the properties we have because the systems we have in place, we have onboarding coordinators, VAs, backend systems that it gets set up with videos and detailed instructions that we don't have to be there. And that was kind of the point where it's like, okay, we can selectively choose our time. Even when we're away, I don't know how many 
months we were gone this past year, but we tested it out and you know, the business ran smooth. And that was kind of the, the point of like, okay, we can scale this now. Like we don't physically have to be there. You know, obviously systems are never perfect. That's something that, you know, we're big on as systems and constantly improving them. If something breaks down, that's not anyone's fault. It's not our VA's fault. It's not our manager's fault. It's not our, it's, it's a system fault. It, it's, it's our fault for not having a system in place. So we kind of look at it now as like, okay, if this is constantly happening, what system can we put in place so that this is taken care of? And the second we've kind of made that mind shift, we've noticed like huge, you know, huge improvements. Okay. So it's no joke running a full-time business, but you still find, like you obviously have the time freedom now where you can set your own schedule and that type of stuff. But are you finding the time to travel like you thought you would still? I know you are traveling, but like, let's say you're in Greece how much of that morning or week in Greece is actually spent, you know, working, running the business versus, okay, enjoying Greece? Um, we're actually pretty good at keeping a morning routine. Like we said before, fitness is also very important to us. So we like, instead of having only two weeks in Greece where you're bouncing around to different islands every three days because you want to see it all. Now we can stay places for five to seven days. So we're not sprinting. So in the mornings we can get up, we can go to the gym, maybe have some breakfast and then do like two hours of work. And by noon, we're like, okay, that was good. And then we go and enjoy the afternoon. Mm. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. We like it. (laughs) And we're much more productive instead of like sitting and staring at a computer for eight hours a day and him, neither of us can keep our attention or our focus for that long, but we can focus for a good 90 minutes to uh, two to three hours max. And then go do something else. And then tomorrow we can do it again and we're and you're, fresh. Yeah. You're well rested. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing sometimes about a nine to five is like, you might have to just be stuck there when you know you'd be better serving yourself and your productivity. If you could just like go rest and chill out and do no work and then come back to it and you kind of can work in those sprints. Yeah. And both of us have noticed that we're both very productive at completely different times of the day. Like he's productive right in the morning and I'm, <laughs> I'm absolutely not a morning person. So he gets a lot of his work done in the morning and then we'll go to the gym later. Later, and I'm the complete opposite. Yeah, got it. So your lifestyle now, so how often are you in Canada? How often are you out and about traveling the globe? Well, this past 12 months, we were gone for what, four of them? Four or five months? At least. Yeah, yeah we, we, we like to, like I said, winter time. We want to try to be out of here as much as we can. Um, last year, we, we did like a European summer. It was kind of something we've always wanted to do. So we were away for six weeks there. That was like the celebration of me leaving my job. So I left my job. And then I think like a few weeks later, we did that trip. And then we went, we liked Greece so much. We went back for another two weeks in September. Then we did the Maldives, Dubai, Abu Dhabi in uh, December. And where were we just, we, I feel like we, had, we went back to Southeast Asia, <laughs> but this right. time in business class yeah. and first class. Yes. Yeah. So like, what are the downsides of the digital nomad lifestyle? I just am a firm believer. Everything in life has a pro, everything has a con. And despite how glamorous something can seem, there's always downsides. So what, what would you guys honestly say is some of those? I would say in the beginning, especially like I, I use this Europe trip as an example, because we, it was like so new and we were so excited that like, Hey, we can go away for six weeks, make money while we're there, enjoy. It was almost hard to like focus and sit down and be like, okay, we need to actually get some work done <laughs> um, because it was kind of that like new shiny thing. So we, we found that we definitely didn't work as much as we should have that trip, albeit it's kind of cool to, to say that the business still ran smoothly. Could we have gotten further in those six weeks if we had a more detailed routine like we do now when we go away, yes. But I'd say that that is the one downfall. Cause when you get to a new place, you're just excited. You're like, okay, like there's 
we can do this, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. We only have five days. Oh, but we got to get like, we should get two or three hours of work done a day. So it's not like the, the business doesn't go backwards, but it doesn't necessarily go forwards like it does when we're like dialed in here. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. You mentioned the gym. That's such a good anchor for kind of establishing a morning routine, right? And getting yourself on track. I find like a hard workout always resets me when I'm off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, you guys have uh, accomplished a lot at a really young age. It's really cool. And you've achieved the time freedom, the digital nomad lifestyle that you guys were going for. How did you guys kind of develop the mindset and the self-belief to go ahead and do all these things? Because that's a huge part of it. I think putting yourself in a room of others who are doing it, it really makes you realize that it's possible and that they're, they're not people who, who had a handout. These are people who were normal people, had normal upbringings, and they just decided that they could achieve better and that they wanted their life to be different. And I think we always both had wanted our lives to be different. We just didn't really know what that looked like. And I think our biggest takeaway in the last couple of years was always like dream bigger because we had, I think it was more like a five-year plan. We're like, oh, we'll leave our job in five years. And I think we did it in two, right? Like we we're dreaming too small. So now everything we come up with, I'm like, that seems impossible, but why the hell not? Like, why can't it happen? You just have to believe that it will, right? Yeah. So were you reading books and following podcasts, that type of stuff? Or oh. was it more just surrounding yourself? Yeah, no, it was it was it was the podcast, books, people, everything, right? Like mm. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like everyone other real estate investors, probably like the first book that I read that I was like, okay, you know, that's that's awesome. Need to start doing that. And that's before I owned any real estate. And then the four hour work week was a good one too, being like just he, you know, Tim Ferriss talks about the systems that he has in place and the VAs that he hires. I'm like, yeah, we could do this. That's like, he makes it sound so simple. And then you meet people that are doing it and it is, it's super possible. And the fact that once you get that belief system, it just becomes like automatic. Like there is no like, Ooh, that seems tough. Like, I don't know if that's realistic. Like, no, this is completely realistic. You kind of go all in and it just, things happen faster than you expect it. Yeah, and, and kind of like saying no to societal norms, right? Like when we first told my parents who again, both very Italian, very Italian backgrounds, their parents literally came on a boat that we we're gonna quit our jobs. Like I thought my dad was gonna die of a heart attack because <laughs> why would you leave a stable job? And that's true and that's what most people think. Like this is very stable income, but I don't think you get anywhere by being stable. I think you have to be uncomfortable. And we wanted more. Right. Like we would have never been happy just coasting. Yeah. Oftentimes in life, I think staying where you are is a bigger risk yeah. than the perceived risk of of going somewhere new. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's like the devil that you do knows, you know, better than the one you don't. So I kind of understand that. And it is scary kind of stepping into um, this adventure. Right. Right. What are some of your big takeaways from the adventure you guys have been on and doing this? Big takeaways. I mean, get asked this question a lot about people that are right at the cusp or want to leave their job you can probably do it earlier than you think as long as you have a plan right I think that we had a pretty solid plan of like okay here's the income that we needed although we kept trying to raise that but uh, here's the income that we needed and you know sometimes you just got to go for it and know that there are probably a lot more backup plans than you think there are. Where humans are naturally wired to think like doom and gloom, right? Like this is the worst thing that could happen. But if you really go down that hole and say, okay, like let's say we do this thing, it tanks. Could we find another job? Probably. Mm -hmm. Could we put food on the table? Could we pay the mortgage? Absolutely, right? We, that was the first thing, like that was literally when we wrote these things down, that was the first thing we said, it was like, yeah, we could find another job. It would suck. It would go against both of our competitiveness knowing that we have to go back. 
but we'd survive. So why? I think that's really useful though. Yeah. Outlining that little hell that you'd be returning to yeah. is such motivation to, to run away from yeah. it. Right. And embarrassment was one of the big ones on there. It's like, yeah, you have to go back to work, but it's like, it's embarrassing because people saw you do this thing and then you have to go back. But at the end of the day, could you do it? And we saw, look, the, the opportunity cost to not do it was way greater than having to go back and try this. Like we're young, we can, you know, we can do this. It's working so far. You know, if we can put a hundred, if we did this with 30, 40% of our capacity and attention, and it's probably less than that because it's always in the evenings. Imagine what we could do with a hundred, hundred percent, right? The full day. And, you know, we've seen that and everyone else is, that has done that has seen the same results. So yeah, I and would. I think having like a big focus on your why yeah. and how you want to live your life and focusing on that every single day. Like how, how, yeah. So how are you refocusing on that? Like, I think just like thinking about every day, even when we were in corporate jobs, like anytime we would wake up and I'd be like, how do I want to live my life? Do I want to wake up to an alarm? I don't. So, but some people do. And some people say, I love my corporate job and then, then do that. It's just really what makes you happy. And if you're not happy, then you can look at your life, be like, how do you want your life to look? And I, th I fully believe that if you focus on your why and why you want it and you fully believe it's possible, literally a path will open up and you literally just have to be like, okay, and keep going. Mm -hmm. You may not see the full path. We still don't, right? There's endless possibilities out there. Our why is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, right? How we want to live our life. But we know that we'll the path will be shown to you. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like a blurry vision of yeah. the direction you want to go in. And you're like, okay, step this way. Yeah. And yeah. we'll see what comes through the fog. It's crazy what opportunities literally just come to you and all you have to say is okay or yes. Yeah. If you're looking for it. Yeah. Um, the credit card reward points. Yes. I want to ask you guys this because we had Ricky on and everyone's like, how does this all work? I think I did the whole thing. I wanted to know about Ricky's story and I don't even think I asked him what the best credit card was. He, he uh, referenced the Amex Cobalt. Um, what, so what, what's your guys' opinions? Like, how do you get started in this? Is there a go-to card most Canadians can work with? Yeah, I mean, I will say, and I'm going to plug Ricky's blog because it's amazing. He literally has a whole section on best credit cards. And it really depends on what you're looking to get out of the travel. So, like I actually mentioned it, if you're looking for a family trip that, you know, you just want to get to somewhere in North America or somewhere in Canada, you know, there are cards that can get you there in economy and points, but fixed rewards might be great. If you're looking to do more of the luxury travel business in first class, then we would suggest focusing on certain cards that have high sign-up bonuses. They come with, so you know, not all of them, but a lot of them do come with high annual fees. But if you do the math, it's it's worth it. And there's a lot of Amex cards like the Business Platinum, the Personal Platinum, you know, the the Aeroplan Reserve card. Those all have very high sign-up bonuses, and usually a few times throughout the year they they put a really high one on. And then from there, there's referral fees, so you can play in two-player mode and I can refer Ashley and Ashley can refer me back to a different card so that way like you can really build up that way because you know I, I'm sure Ricky mentioned this but there's a lot of cards out there that have pretty good sign-up bonuses that just by doing one or two of those you can get that trip that you're planning even in business or first class and you find the ROI on these miles credit cards are far greater than any cashback card out there Absolutely. So some of the cards um, may have like a five or $600 annual fee, which scares a lot of people, but you can get a bonus like up to like 150,000 points and you can fly 150,000 points to Southeast Asia in business class on a $15,000 flight. So would you spend $600 for a $15,000 flight? I would. Yeah, that was the tough part that I I still have a tough time grasping is the conversion between points and miles and cashback dollars. Um, but Ricky had a good way of putting, whereas look at it as a percentage 
return um, on your money, but it's hard converting the like how many miles is this flight and how much f- would that flight cost? And if you don't, if you don't really know what flights are off the top of your head and stuff, it's hard to kind of do all those conversions. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of legwork that goes. So in, is, is it this. worth all the work to kind of learn about this? If you want it. Yeah. Like if you're going to travel one to two times a year somewhere outside of North America and you don't want to do it in economy, I think it's worth it. Okay. Yeah. It's, de- it's definitely worth it. I mean, you're spending a few hundred dollars to get tens of thousands of dollars of flights. Again, if that's your thing, but not everyone wants that. Not everyone wants to go to Southeast Asia or Europe or across the pond. They might just want their family trip down to Florida, which again, there's still very lucrative opportunities there. There's still a lot of like no annual fee cards that you can sign up for and get these flights covered for free. The return, the ROI is not as big where you see the biggest ROIs are on the the premium cabins. Um, But at the end of the day, like if you're still spending very little money to get your entire family down to Florida for next to nothing. That's a win. It's still a good ROI, right? And for real estate, real estate, whoever's in real estate, it's it's like a no brainer because a lot of people are. If you're furnishing, you're spending the money anyway. Why don't you put it on a card that's going to help you get something instead of a cashback card? Or if you're doing like flips or whatever, that is like a lot of money that you're putting on cards that if you put on the right card without even thinking or actually going out and spending money on purpose, you're getting like at least two to three flights like in first class. Wow. How much work does this all take on an ongoing basis? Like to switch up different cards, to do these, uh, what'd you call them? Two player mode when you're referring each other? Like how much work is all this really? I mean, it really depends on how, how aggressive you want to go with it. You can, if you're just looking to do one or two trips a year, it's, it's very simple. Like I said, I, I'd highly recommend following Ricky's blog because he has literally like step-by-step instructions on how to do so this. Just get the right cards, just stick with it. And then by the end of the year, you have your two flights. Yeah. He even has a thing on his website for two player mode, like literally step one, get this card, step two, refer player two to this card. Like it's all on there. It's, it, he's done an incredible job. Um, but yeah, you can go really aggressive with it and open, you know, 10 plus cards, you know, obviously you have to have good practices with it, make sure that you're doing responsible spend, paying it off, utilization, so on and so forth. Um, but I would definitely say that, you know, to get started, it's it's not hard. Just get a few cards, start with that, put spend on it. If you're in real estate, we always timed new openings of cards right before we knew we had big renos, lots of furnishings, so that way it's easy to hit the minimum spend. And ideally, if you sign up for one or two or, or you know three cards at the same time, it's a little bit softer on the credit versus than signing up for one every like two or three months. So we always recommend doing that. And then, uh, yeah, again, you know, there's the the talk of canceling the card at the end of the year. Like that is an option. Obviously, there's certain keeper cards that you want to have in your arsenal because some have multipliers. Like the Cobalt card you mentioned has like five times on groceries and restaurants and dining. So that's like a really powerful one. So you're keeping that one just to, for those specific categories. Yeah, exactly. And around Christmas time, we we love to get gift cards for all of our staff and people that come in. So obviously, we're gonna go and put it on that and get five times because um, why not, right? And same thing if you really want to get creative. With it you know if you have a home depot purchase i know it's a bit more bookkeeping and a bit more accounting but if you have to spend five ten grand in materials it's annoying but go get a bunch of gift cards from home depot and there's your 5x or you would get the gift cards from a grocery yeah. store use the cobalt card um, and you would get five five times the points and then you would go use the gift cards at home depot instead uh, of just going right to home depot because yeah. yeah the credit card just sees like the grocery store purchase yeah even though you're getting gift cards for i don't know mm-hmm. amazon gift cards or something yeah. we love gift cards 
Yeah. Wow. So there's all these little hacks and stuff. eh? So yeah, that's what I'm just wondering is like, how much time should I dedicate to learning this? Like, is the ROI actually there versus maybe, you know, spending more ROI on other things like real estate investing or whatever? No, I say if you do even like an hour or two a week, mm-hmm. even on Ricky's ball, even an hour a week, and you're just like catching up on articles, he has a whole like n- like newbies guide, which is really good. Okay. You start to get the gist and then you start going into the Aeroplan program, which is Air Canada and looking around, that's the main program for Canadians. It's the main one we use. You'll you'll see that you can actually look up, okay, if I want to go to Bali in October, the flight and economy is going to be like $1,300. This is how much it would be in points. And Ricky actually has a whole formula that you can do um, to see if that would be a good deal or not. So you don't even have to really do any of the work. It's all there. You just have to plug in all the numbers and then you can determine and then work backwards. Be like, all right, if I want to do this in business, this is how many points I need. And then you can go to all the cards and just be like, which ones would I need to do? Oh, wow. And referrals are great. Like you can refer to your friends, everything and that's that's a quick way to rack up yeah so i noticed that on your instagram link trees you have referral links to now other cards so are you kind of leveraging your travels to become sort of like travel influencers and now kind of you know teach how this credit card rewards thing works to other people and then create another income stream for yourself i I probably won't wouldn't go right right to creating another income stream just because we want to focus and dial in on what we're actually doing because i find if you the focus yeah, is the too shiny wide. Objects yeah, yeah. So we help our family and friends. We love talking about it. Will we actually charge anyone for it? No, we just push everyone to, to Ricky because he's him and his team are amazing. So, um, but we do like to showcase it because it's not that hard. And we've gotten our business to a point where even like all of the cleaning and stuff comes right onto a certain credit card, and that instantly gets us points. We don't even have to really try anymore. So if there's things you can systemize in your life or maybe a personal business where it's it's just easy spend instead of saying hey instead of me e-transferring you i'm gonna give you my card and you're just gonna charge it all the time and i'll pay off the card easy easy points wait sorry say that again instead of instead of so if you have to pay a contractor or something instead of or like a service and it's a consistent monthly service instead of you e-transferring them every single month just say hey can you take my card and run it and instead and then all of that spend goes on that credit card which gives you points it's the same money you're just changing up how you're paying it yeah, yeah. i guess if you have the trusted relationship and stuff yeah definitely yeah. that's why i had to ask you i'm like wait you're just handing these cards out to people i'm not physically cards <laughs> but a lot of people have like online like stripe like online payment processors where they can just run the card automatically we still look at it yeah, so, and yeah. we don't physically give them the card. No. They have like the the number on file. Like our cleaners, they'll you know we we have like a team of cleaners that'll do like five or six properties at a time. So at the end of every month, they invoice us, which we then put in our statement and actually invoice our clients back. Um, so essentially, they're charging our card. We're getting it paid down by our clients technically. So the bigger our business gets, the bigger our spend goes on that card. You know, the more points we earn in t- in terms of that. Yeah. God, I love this because it's like, you're not changing how you do anything. Tom's taking a photo of us here. (laughs) Uh, You're not changing how you um, do anything. You're not changing what you do. Sorry. You're just changing how you do it. And the system, it kind of flows through. Right. Because it's our kind of our two loves is like real estate is how we're going to make the money. But the points is just a full-time hobby for us. We just love it. We love that our vacation starts the moment we get on the plane. Yeah, it's cool. I'm just kind of observing your journey here and uh, where it's taken you guys. It's almost like a hybrid of all the books and and experience you guys have had, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, to get into real estate investing and get those first few properties. And then 
I'm sure plenty of other education around um, the Airbnb arbitrage and management and that type of stuff. And then the four hour work week is now putting all these systems in place and living the digital nomad lifestyle. So it's cool. Like it's a direct result of the inputs that you guys are putting in. Look at the life you guys have created. Yeah. And I mean, we, we didn't think it was possible in this short amount of time. Um, Cause when did you really start? When, when was the first Airbnb property? How many um, years ago? I think in, tw- when was it? 2018. Yours was in 2018. Yeah. I believe ours was in 20. That would have been a year later. Yeah. 2019. 2019. Wow. That's the first one we ever bought. And before then we didn't, we knew we wanted to travel more. We didn't know how. So it's not like we were like, real estate's going to be the way. It's just an example of you want something bad enough and then a path will be shown to you and you just have to be like, that sounds cool, let's try it. Yeah, would you guys say you found the happiness that you're looking for? I think so. I think now that we've achieved the timing, now it's kind of trying to, I know this is gonna sound kind of kind of bad, but I don't actually wanna work every day. You know, I want to be able to make a lot of money and I, we're trying to step back from the business more and more and more so that we can get down to only working a couple hours a week instead of a couple hours a day. Um, that's a new goal. And then uh, finance goals will be next. So what would you replace the work with? I would love to do more outreach and more volunteering. I work a lot with um, a shelter in St. Catharines um, volunteering with dogs. I, I love dogs. We have two dogs. And I get more joy out of those couple hours a week than doing anything else. So I would love to do more like giving back and then just traveling and, and honestly, just doing whatever the F we want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I mean, money's just a money problem. And if yeah. you mm-hmm. solve that problem, you can move on to other problems, which is, you know, creating more happiness, being able to do this or spending more time with family or investing more in your health. Mm-hmm. And we do want kids one day and it'll be nice that we don't like we'll be able to spend time with them always. Right? Yeah, and yeah. have time to, to be with them and stuff. Awesome, guys. Is there anything you want to leave the audience with? Is lessons, uh, we can plug any of your, your social media or whatever you want to plug? Sure, yeah. Our social media is just Spencer and Ashley. Very simple. <laughs> um, yeah, if you want to follow along our journey there, we, we try to, well, Ashley's really the, <laughs> the, the CEO of our Instagram page. She does an awesome job, but that, that'll keep... Uh, keep the followers current and up to date on what we're doing and where we are in the world. And obviously if they have any questions, reach out, we try to respond as fast as we can. And, you know, if there's people starting out in their journey, like, you know, we get a lot of, you know, we get a lot of joy seeing someone take like for the points, for example, starting from, you know, the beginning to going on their first trip and maybe it's their first Airbnb, taking it live and seeing success there. So, you know, that's, that's more of the stuff we're getting into and, you know, we have some things in the pipeline, so stay tuned on the page and, uh, yeah, that's, that'll be this year's plan. Is that kind of just your go-to kind of blog to kind of share what you're up to? Um, did you, is it effective for marketing for you guys having this Instagram page? Yeah, it's been very effective for marketing and it, it has felt natural to be able to document that stuff. And our goal is for people to meet us in real life and be like, yes, like what I see on internet is like how you guys are in real life. Like, and we never want to lie. So we do try to highlight the good and the bad. That's cool. Cause yeah, Instagram can definitely turn into like a highlight reel and it's definitely, like, all right, what's happening behind the scenes, you know, what's under the surface there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's never as it always seems. No, right? no, it isn't. So like our goals when people meet us, it's like, okay, yeah, it's exact same. Like, the, you know, we like it when someone comes up to us that we've never met had a conversation is like you guys are the exact same people in real life than than you are on the page and they feel like they've known you forever and that that's kind of the goal yeah that's cool guys okay so spencer and ashley on instagram and you didn't mention what you're going to do when you get uh, cut down on your business more do you have other stuff in mind i mean the same thing i love dogs to support that i 
I'm, I really love meeting new people and traveling and experience different parts of the world because you get different perspectives on it. And, you know, just going and, and doing that to me, it's like where I get a lot of fulfillment and energy on because, again, you know, we're not going out looking for opportunities, but we found the most have come from like meeting people across, you know, a different part of the world and they might be doing something really neat. Like we've met a guy that's doing this foundation. Um, was it in South Africa? Really, really cool things. Like, dude, you know, opening ourselves up to like, hey, maybe we can do something like that. Cause it's, you know, really, really cool to see what other people are doing. And we say we're not, we don't want to work, but I feel like we're both extremely competitive. We both have um, competitive sport backgrounds. Like I think we'll just kind of stop doing one thing and then just kind of fill it with yeah, something we're never, else. We're never yeah. going to do nothing. That's yeah. for sure. Like you said, focus on the health, focus on other things, outreach, scaling the business, you know, we'll always do something. Yeah. The passive income kind of poster of sitting on the beach with the margarita gets old after. No such oh, thing as passive yeah. income. That's <laughs> a month, you know, that's a retirement poster. Yeah. That's not, that's not a life. Yeah. Um, yeah. But cool. Thank you guys so much for coming in, sharing your story. It's really, really inspiring. It's very cool what you guys have been able to do. And uh, we'll be following along on awesome. your journey. We'll have to have you guys back on and see where the road takes you. We'd love it. Thanks so much for having us on. We yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you guys. So a big thank you to Spencer and Ashley for coming in, being so transparent and open with sharing their inspirational story, how they grew their business and how they pull it all off. These guys seem like the real deal and you can follow along with their travels and journey at their Instagram handle, Spencer and Ashley. Just search Spencer and Ashley on Google or Instagram and you'll find them. And if you want to sign up for the next free 60-minute real estate investing training class taught by Tom and Nick, specifically on how investors we work with are profiting from real estate in Southern Ontario and the strategies they're using to generate cash flow, go to rockstarinnercircle.com or type in Rockstar Inner Circle on Google, then click the big red button on the Rockstar Inner Circle homepage that says free investor class to sign up for the next upcoming training. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And I hope or we hope to catch you on the next episode.